God, how is the Motor City? You know, the Motor City is great. I'm, I'm sitting here in my hotel room right now. The downtown area is so cool. Um, I think there's been a lot of revitalization in downtown Detroit over the past five, six years, but it's really, um, it's really cool. There's some great restaurants and good shopping. Um, and of course, the debates start tomorrow. That's right. Our favorite, uh, our favorite time of the campaign season, debates, and two big ones coming up uh, tomorrow night, um, which would be uh, July 30th, Tuesday, 8 to 10. Uh, and that first night has uh, Marion Williamson, uh, Congressman Ryan, Klobuchar, uh, Senator Klobuchar, Mayor Buttigieg, Senator Sanders, Senator Warren, former Congressman O'Rourke, former Governor Hickenlooper, former Congressman Delaney, and Governor Steve Bullock. He is the newest person to uh, join the debate stage. And... The second night, Wednesday night, July 31st, we've got Senator Bennett, Senator Gillibrand, um, uh, Julian Castro, former HUD secretary, Senator Booker, uh, former Vice President Biden, Senator Harris, uh, businessman entrepreneur uh, Andrew Yang, uh, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, Governor Jay Inslee, and Mayor de Blasio. And the way I read that is actually the way in which they will be standing from left to right on the debate stage. So, Elrod, to you, talk to me. What do you think you – know, this, is, this is important. You just brought this up to me um, before we got started. But a number of these candidates may not be around uh, in September when we have the third round of debates. So how important is this night for – um, the, the 20 candidates who are going to be up on the stage. You know, Doug, it's really important because, as you just mentioned, this may be, for many candidates, the last time that they really have a moment on the national stage to talk about their vision for America, to talk about why they're running for the presidency, because the threshold for the third debate mandated by the Democratic National Committee are much stronger. You've got to get four in four national polls and or early state polls, you've got to at least get 2% or higher. So you've got to, um, and, and that, by the way, that started after the second debate. Um, and it, 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 that ends about two weeks before the third debate. So basically the time period is about, about five weeks or maybe a little bit less than five weeks to qualify for at 2% or higher in four national polls and or, or four early state polls or a, a version of a mix of those two. Um, you've also got to raise um, unique date donations from 130,000 people. So to qualify for the first debate, that level was at 65,000. That means that, you know, 65,000 people in the country have to give you at least a donation of a dollar or make some sort of donation to your campaign. And that's a strength of, that shows a strength of grassroots support and shows that you can raise money from thousands of grassroots donors across the country as opposed to just a handful of um, rich max out donors. So this is a much stronger threshold going into the third debate, which is going to take place in Houston on September 12th and 13th. Um, so candidates, for example, like John Delaney, John Hickenlooper, um, Michael Bennett, Julian Castro, um, Jay Inslee, Bill de Blasio, to name a few, those are some folks that may have a difficult time qualifying for this third debate. So I think you know, Doug, obviously everybody's talking about, you know, what's the, you know, the, the, the Bernie Elizabeth Warren showdown on Tuesday night and the, 
Kamala, Joe Biden rematch with a little bit of Cory Booker sprinkled in on the third night. Those things are all going to happen. Those are going to be the things a lot of us will be watching for. But I'm also going to be watching for how do these candidates who have yet to qualify for the third debate, how do they try to have a breakout moment that really stands out? You know, Doug, as you'll recall in the first debate, Julian Castro was sort of the surprise um, underdog, black sheep, um, you know, uh, dark horse candidate that really had a strong night. So is there going to be somebody in the first night? Like, is John Hickenlooper going to really, um, you know, surprise us? Steve Bullock, he was not on the debate stage. He didn't qualify for the first debate in Miami. He is qualifying for this debate, but he has yet to qualify for the third debate. So is Steve Bullock, is this going to be the only time we see him, or is he going to do something, is he going to say something during his short amount of time on stage on the first night to really make a big difference and to, to ensure that he's able to stay in this race longer. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be more interested, of course, in watching the, you know, the, the tier one candidates go at it. But I also want to see how some of these, you know, folks who are teetering on the edge of qualifying for the third debate perform. And we also have to keep in mind, Doug, it's going to be really, really hard if you are running for president, you don't qualify for the third debate. It's going to be really hard for you to justify staying in the race. So it probably means you're not going to qualify for further debates. It probably means that you are not going to be able to raise much more money because people are going to see you. It's sort of a cyclical cycle, right? Like the less exposure you get from a media standpoint, the less money you can raise. And then the less media you get because you didn't raise as much money, then you raise less money. So it sort of turns into this, um, you know, kind of vicious, I guess, if you will, cycle that it's hard to get out of. So I do think that if you, if, if folks don't qualify for the third debate, it's going to be really hard for them to um, be able to stay in the race. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you you said. And if you look at the real clear politics average, I mean, this is really interesting, uh, Adrian. You've got you've got Andrew Yang, uh, who is polling better nationally uh, than Cory Booker, uh, than Amy Klobuchar, uh, than Castro. Um, you know, some Gillibrand. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, he is pulling. He's pulling his average, real clear politics average, is right there with Beto O'Rourke and just right behind Buttigieg. And so, you know, that just shows you how hard. I mean, some of these candidates have been in the camp, have been in this race for months now, and they're still, you know, they're under two percent. So that's a real hard, um, you know, mile. Not to mention the the uh, donor piece. And so, you know, look, right. I think. Potentially, you could have half the, you know, that one debate next in the fall with seven or eight people on it. And the 12 other folks who are probably, you know, may still be in the race aren't going to have that opportunity to get free media. I mean, you and I all know, you you and I know how important it is uh, to generate free media in a campaign. Uh, it's, it's something that, um, you know, until you start running your advertising campaign, you absolutely have to be creative and smart and take advantage of opportunities and get out there uh, so you can generate free media. This is a media you don't pay for. Uh, and this is such a, you know, the last debate, I believe, had 18 million, 19 million viewers. Um, and we saw the benefit to some candidates who had, you know, who had strong nights. We, we've seen it with Elizabeth Warren. Uh, to some, uh, We've seen it with uh, Kamala Harris. Although um, I think you could you could also look at the polling and and it shows that um, that Vice President Biden has rebounded um, since the last debate over the last, certainly over the last couple of weeks. But you're absolutely right. This is this is a really important um, opportunity. It could be some of these folks' last big opportunity 
a, you know, I think of someone like a, a Kirsten Gillibrand, who, um, or even or a Beto O'Rourke, two folks who are, you know, very, you know, who are senators who've got like, you know, who Beto O'Rourke obviously was the sort of the star of the last of the 2018 midterms. Um, you know, they need to have a they need to have a good night. You know, they've got to do something that's going to create a moment for them and generate attention. Um, because, you know, look, if you're if if you aren't on that debate stage uh, in the fall, uh, it's going to be really hard to justify continuing. Uh, and it's just going to make things a lot harder for you. But what I think what you're going to see, too, the last, the last thing we'll say about this and we'll move on. But the um, we've talked about this before, but because of the donor requirement, it's forcing some of these campaigns to spend money much earlier on on on, <clears throat> on digital uh, acquisition of of donors, and so people, you know, these candidates are paying forty forty five dollars to, to to for for one donor, and so they're spending a lot of money trying to hit that uh, threshold because they understand how important it is that they're on the debate stage. Yeah, that's um, correct. But I also I also just want to really quickly on that, you know, not push back, and you know, obviously that is true that some candidates are paying that much money, but I also think it's important to note that if you are not able to generate grassroots donations without it, or let me put it this way if you have to spend a lot of money in order to generate grassroots donations then you're probably not going to win the, the nomination or become the next president of the united states anyway right like you know there, are like mayor pete is a pr prime example of somebody who had a really strong out of the gate showing and was able to raise a lot of grassroots donations on his own um, I'm sure that there was some digital money and some investments that were put into this. But if you are somebody like John Delaney, for example, if you're somebody, I'm not sure who else is spending a lot of money um, to implement a strong grassroots organizing um, fundraising effort. But if you are having to spend a lot of money and resources on that, then it probably means that you are never going to get to, you know, that that tier one of candidates who are going to be really the ones who are competing for the nomination to begin with. I think that yeah, I think that's right. Um it's uh it's interesting to look at, you know, Facebook does this um summary each week and uh, right now the top spenders on Facebook uh for ads uh Tom Steyer um this week he spent for uh uh Tom Steyer spent $470,000. You had Donald Trump who spent 360, but then you had Kirsten Gillibrand 211,000, Amy Klobuchar 141 and 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 Pete uh, Mayor Pete at 123. So but look, I think you're, you know, look, I mean, you know, Mayor Pete was able to generate a lot of that support just through his organic uh, earned media efforts. And that's why, you know, back to our, I think our larger point, just how important it is that you're on this, you know, you do well tomorrow night and Wednesday night, and you put yourself in a position to be on that stage in in, in the fall, because right now, free, earned media is, is king or queen. Um, and if you can't get it, then it's going to be harder to generate that excitement build that donor base and raise money. Um, exactly. So, uh what are you watching for? Um do you what do you in on both tomorrow night and Wednesday night? Anything you're in particular watching for like who's going to kind of confront who and the collision courses? Is there anything any anything you're you're going to be keeping a close eye to? I mean, Doug, this is like the stuff we live for, right? Like I happen to be a big sports fan, I know you are too, and so there's a lot of it's, it's almost like watching a you know, football games, you know, who who are you watching for? Who's going to make some moves? You know, who's the breakout star? Who's going to be, 
um, you know, who's going to come in with the best tactical strategy in order to achieve their goals in the debate. Um, so in the first night, I'm going to be looking for, in particular, how does how do Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders conduct, conduct themselves against each other? Um, you know, they both sort of, you know, there was a story, I think, on CNN.com that sort of laid out this whole, like, oh, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to attack each other. Like, I know everybody thinks we're going to, but we're not. We're going to have a civil discussion. Well, yeah, I'm sure they're going to, but let's be clear. I mean, Bernie Sanders is losing a lot of his supporters to Elizabeth Warren. And Elizabeth Warren is gaining traction in part because she's taking supporters away from Bernie Sanders, from Joe Biden, from other candidates in the race. I mean, she's on the rise. She's on the ascension. So I think if you're Elizabeth Warren, you're coming into this debate um, wanting to make sure that you are able to distinguish your policy positions or at least your your methods for achieving some of the like-minded goals that you have with Bernie Sanders. You want to show that you're the one who actually has the policies out there that can get the job done. Um, you're trying to draw that distinction. Bernie Sanders, on the other hand, is trying to remind folks, hey, listen, I'm the original guy here, right? I'm the one who came up with the um, Medicare for all concept. I'm the one who's been driving home some of these, um, you know, income inequality positions and um, corporate greed positions. Like, I you know I've been the one preaching this for years and years and years. So Elizabeth Warren is really just kind of, you know, copying me or she's, she's taking my tax. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how those two try to distinguish themselves, try to separate them, the, the, their messages separate, you know, for, from each other, but also um, come out of this debate um, as the winner. So I'm, I'm really interested in looking to see how they perform. Um, you know, Amy Klobuchar, I think that she needs to figure out how she can stand on that stage. I mean, she's in Detroit. She's in, you know, she's in Michigan. She's in an area that has lost some manufacturing jobs. She keeps talking about the person who can win back the Midwest. who can sort of win back the Great Lakes region um, if she's the nominee. So, you know, she needs to try to demonstrate why she is the best person to do it. Yes, she's from Minnesota. Yes, she's never lost a race in Minnesota. But how can she take this to the national level? How can she really distinguish herself on the debate stage? I don't think she was really able to do that in the first debate. Um, Beto O'Rourke, my God, you're just like, you're trying to figure out how do I stay in the game? How do I get out of this one to 2% margin? How do I reclaim where I stood before? And I think he can best do that by trying to articulate a vision that sort of straddles, you know, he's somewhere in between the Bernie uh, Sanders, Elizabeth Warren wing of the party and the, you know, moderate conservative, more conservative Michael Bennett, John Hickenlooper wing of the party. So how does he distinguish himself? For Steve Bullock, you know, heck, you just want to introduce yourself to folks and show that, you know, you look, you're the you're the red state governor uh, or rather Democratic governor that represents a red state. And how does that actually play? How does that keep you in this race um, going forward? So those are kind of going to be the things I'm looking for. You know, Mayor Pete, I think he's got to articulate a vision for how he can get more support among African-Americans. And he didn't really do that in the first debate. He's really got to do it in the second debate. We're already start starting to see him drop a little bit of the polls. He's sort of like leveling out around 4 or 5%. So I'm going to look to see it, how he articulates a message, how he, um, you know, really talks to a wider swath of voters or at least presents a message that is compelling to, um, you know, folks other than, you know, upper class white, um, white voters because I think that he's got some real work to do there and he knows that. And his team knows that. So 
you know, people say, oh, the first debate is going to be kind of blah, the second debate is where it's at. But I actually think the first debate is going to be very interesting and exciting. I think there's going to be a lot of fireworks uh, on the first debate. And it, there are a couple of different dynamics that I think are going to be interesting at, and, and at play. One, I think what you touched on, I think we are going to see, uh, you know, this sort of long-awaited um, uh, confrontation between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders because they're both fighting in many ways for a lot of the same votes. New Hampshire is critical to both of their successes. Elizabeth Warren is on the upswing right now. Uh, and San- Sanders has been sort of idling for the for quite some time. He didn't really have a, he didn't have a bad debate, but he just didn't do anything that was uh, noteworthy. I, I don't think. So obviously, there, you've got that dynamic there, both you know neighboring near each other states. Um, but then I think you also have an interesting dynamic because if you look at the majority of the folks in the first debate, would be who would be considered moderate members of the Democratic Party: Steve Bullock, John Delaney. Hickenlooper, um, Klobuchar, Tim Ryan, um, you could probably even put Beto O'Rourke there, and maybe P- Mayor PP. So you have like what you could, you know, the moderate lane, um, and then you, and then you obviously have the two sort of strongest progressives uh, in the race. And I just wonder if you're going to start, if you're going to see that play itself out, where you have someone like a Hickenlooper who is, you know, both of us know is trying to become more aggressive, trying to stay in this campaign. Does he go, does he take a, does he go um, real hard against Bernie Sanders? Um, Does Delaney go really hard against Sanders or Warren? Warren hasn't really been challenged by other candidates in this race at all. Um, since that's right. That, that's a really good point, Doug. She she hasn't. I mean, the first debate was kind of a, a cakewalk for her, if you will, but she has not been challenged. Yeah. On the debate and, stage. And so, and and and, uh, and 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 Bernie Sanders, you know, I mean, quite frankly, he hasn't really been challenged that much either. Um, so that I think is going to be that to me is a, a a dynamic to look at, sort of the progressive versus moderate. Um, uh, fight that might take place on stage. And then the last one is uh, Steve Bullock. It's, you know, this is, he's the new new guy, the new guy to the party, um, the debate party. And, uh, you know, you and I know that th- he's got incredible, like, he, there are a lot of people who are super high on him, just like in terms of his his talents as a candidate, his, you know, he's won in a, he's won and was reelected in a uh, Trump state. Uh, he's someone that, you know, there, there's a lot of good buzz on him. Just no one knows who he is. Um, you know, he's obviously in a tiny television market. He got into this race pretty late because he was trying to, you know, he had his own responsibilities as governor of Montana. He wasn't in the first debate. Um, and but I think of of everyone on that debate stage, the, that he is the one I'm really interested to see uh, how he performs and how he does because I think there is still room for a moderate. Uh, to um, sort of join the the Joe Biden lane and compete for votes there. And, you know, Bullock, of all the people on that stage uh, the first night, you know, I think he is the one that, you know, everyone else, we sort of have a sense of how they're, you know, how they are faring. He's someone who is going to get, this is his, you know, this is first opportunity to make, you know, an impression on voters. And so I'd say keep an eye out on on Governor Bullock. Um, What do you think about the second night? So the second night, I mean, gosh, the obvious. Um, what do I think is? Do I think <laughs> Joe Biden can? Do I think Joe Biden can um, demonstrate that he actually is a viable debater, that he can stand his ground on the issues, and that he is the person that I think going into this race, many people envision as the one 
standing next to Donald Trump on the debate stage who could really um, go toe to toe with Trump, who could, um, you know, who could appeal to some of the same voters that Trump won um, in 2016, that we, that Democrats lost in 2016. Um, can he be that guy? So I think he's, he's got some real work to do. And, you know, his, te- his team really, you know, they, they smartly leaked that they know that he's got, that he knows he's got work to do. Like, clearly they know that he's got work to do, but they also leaked to the press that he knows he's got work to do. And he even said in a gaggle a couple of days ago, you're going to see a stronger, like, you know, you're going to see a more aggressive debater on Tuesday night. I shouldn't say stronger. I should say aggressive debater. So um, how does he handle that, you know, that rematch with Kamala Harris again? And, you know, I'm also looking to Cory Booker because Cory Booker has been, as we know, no secret, he's been um, pretty aggressive with Biden on some of his comments that he thought were racially insensitive. So does Cory Booker use this moment to continue to draw a contrast there? My guess is he does. But I also I'm interested to see how Cory Booker handles Kamala Harris. Because there is no question that the two of them do not see eye to eye on some issues, especially when it comes to criminal justice. And and, and, and he's been somewhat, and is, as, as well as other um, members of the African-American community, have been critical of Kamala Harris's record as a prosecutor. So I'm interested to see if Cory Booker really tries to make an aggressive push for Kamala because he knows he's got some work to do among the African-American community. I mean, I think he's polling anywhere from 1% to 2%. Um, in, uh, in, in some national polls when it comes to his support among people of color. So he knows he's got some work to do. How does he draw that contrast? How does he articulate that vision? And I actually think Cory Booker is posed to have a really, really good night on, um, on the second night on July 31st because um, he didn't really have a chance. I thought he was great during the first debate, but the people he was on the debate stage with, in particular Elizabeth Warren, I mean, they're not necessarily going after the same sector of voters. But if he's going to have any shot of really moving into that tier one category and solidify himself as a tier one candidate, he's got to take away some support from Kamala Harris and he's got to take away some support for Joe Biden. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, here's here's one um, here's one pairing. I think uh, I'm interested to see if it actually happens. But does Tulsi Gabbard go uh, confront and go after Kamala Harris, because, you know, earlier this week, um, uh, there was, you know, uh, Gabbard said that uh, Harris was not qualified to be president. And I just wonder if we see if we start seeing people focusing on Harris um, as much as they're maybe focusing on uh, Joe Biden. I fully expect Joe Biden to have to deal with a bunch of different people coming after him, uh, including Cory Booker. Uh, and also Bill de Blasio, you know, we saw him in the, you know, the first uh, the first series of the debates and he was pretty aggressive. And I wouldn't be surprised if de Blasio focuses on both Biden and Kamala Harris and, and maybe uses the, you know, the issue of criminal justice reform uh, as a wedge there um, to to make his case. Um, and then, you know, look, you also have uh, Julian Castro. Castro, uh, as you pointed out, had a, you know, he had a breakthrough performance uh during the first series of debates, uh, largely by um, embarrassing Beto O'Rourke, um, you know, in terms of when they had that exchange over immigration. So where does, you know, does he try to do something similar there? Um, I think that's going to be something to to pay attention to. Uh, and then, you know, look, you have someone like a Kirsten Gillibrand, you know, again, I think like, you know, she's sort of in the same position as a Beto O'Rourke, where I, I think she's got to figure out, you know, she's got to 
she's got to figure out how she creates some sort of moment um, in, in this debate. She she wasn't able to do it the first time around. Um, and, uh, you know, she is, you know, she's struggling right now in terms of um, both her polling and her um, and her donor um, uh, numbers in terms of uh, getting on that debate stage in the fall. But look, everyone's looking at the heavyweight fight between Biden and Harris, the rematch. Um, but I just think don't be surprised if there's some folks who try to disrupt that. And, and I and I and I think you keep an eye on Bill de Blasio. He was pretty feisty and aggressive in those first debates. And you keep an eye on Tulsi Gabbard. Um, I just think like, you know, she's right now at one percent. She's not that far away from, you know, that magic number of two. Uh, and maybe she feels like, OK, I'm going to focus on Harris here to try to um, whittle some support away from her. Um, she did that earlier uh, in the week. Uh, and then obviously Cory Booker and just Cory and Biden go, you know, do they go uh, do they go? um do they go toe to toe? Um, we saw uh, we saw Biden um, try to preempt that a little bit with um, with a statement by his spokeswoman. Uh, so we'll see. I think it's going to be. I think I I am actually more. I think the first night might be more interesting, uh, but obviously the second night uh, you got the you know that's the sort of the main event people are looking at um, in the rematch. But um, it's going to be fun. You're going to have a, a ringside seat, aren't you, Adrian? I, I am. I'm very excited. I'm, I'm glad to be here in Detroit. Um, a couple. I just want to make a couple observations or a couple points on the points that you just made because you made some really, really smart points. Um, first of all, Tulsi Gabbard, <laughs> she goes after Kamala Harris. I'm telling you that's only going to help Kamala Harris, like unless there's some extremely um, – I don't even know what the issue would be. But I think that Tulsi Gabbard attacking Kamala Harris because Tulsi Gabbard has such a horrible record as a Democrat – that just really, frankly, has not gotten out there. She's actually, I thought she did well in the first debate. She came across as a very, um, you know, her, her tone, her delivery um, was, it came off strong. But if you just start to look into her record, especially um, on some of the foreign affairs, foreign policy issues, she is um, somebody who's very controversial within the Democratic Party. So I think Kamala Harris will be more than prepared to push back, and that will only be to Tulsi's de- detriment. Um you know, something else that I think is important to keep in mind, I actually thought this was a really smart idea from the uh, from the Kamala Harris campaign. Yesterday, or I'm sorry, no, actually this morning, she put out her own health care plan, um, her own health care policy. So it was basically her version of Medicare for all, because as we all know, in the first debate, she was a little unclear um, coming out of that first debate, off that debate stage, where she stood on um, people being able to keep their own private health insurance? Where does she stand really on single payer? You know, does she think that people should be able to, to keep their own private health insurance? And what, what better way to clarify that than by putting out your own health care plan ahead of the first debate, especially right before the first debate, so that other candidates won't exactly have enough time to study that uh, plan on, you know, before they go on stage, so it's maybe a little bit harder for them to push back if they feel that she said something um, that was not, um, you know, maybe that was not accurate. So I thought that was very smart. Um, and, you know, look, healthcare is one of the, if not the most defining issue of this Democratic primary. That's where candidates have the most difference. Um, Medicare for all versus single payer. Do you get to keep your private health insurance or does everybody go on to a government-run healthcare system? That's going to be the real debate of this primary. I think we're going to see that play out 
um, more this week on the debate stage, but I think it was really smart that she put her plan out on that. Somebody like Kirsten Gillibrand couldn't agree with you more. Um, she's got to figure out how can she get on that third debate stage? How can she stay in this race? This is a really important moment for her. Um, and I hope that she finds that way. You know, she was the only candidate that I recall who mentioned paid family leave in some way, shape, or form in the first debate, which is such an important issue for especially female voters. And, you know, she, she's so good on the issue. She, um, you know, is extremely smart, um, you know, has got a very clear vision, I think, in terms of where she stands and what she, what her, what her platform is on the presidential, you know, the presidential candidate, she just can't seem to break out of that 1% pack. So to your point, Doug, I'm going to be watching her to see, you know, she's able to have a make or break moment. If she's able to really, um, you know, articulate her vision a little bit more clearly and a little bit more forcefully so that people come, you know, see her come off that debate stage and say, you know what, I actually need to give her a donation. I want to see her on that third debate. I want to hear more from Kirsten Gillibrand. I think her voice is important in this race. I think you will have, um, you know, a lot of folks out there in America who know that this may be the last time that they hear from some of these folks in this type of setting. And this is a big time to raise money um, when you're coming off that debate stage, too. So Kirsten really needs, needs to have a good night. And I, and I hope she does, because I, I know her personally. I like her a lot. Um, I think her voice is important in this race, and I'd like to see it elevated. I agree completely. And I, and I, I would say the same thing about um, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, too. He's a He's a compelling figure. I think, uh, you know, if you look at his history, you know, um, running for mayor the first time, uh, taking on an incumbent mayor of Newark, almost beating him, and then taking on, and this was a machine politician at the time, then taking him on again, winning, and then really, you know, reforming Newark. And he lives in his hometown. He lives in his city. Uh, he lives in the inner city. And then he became, you know, a senator uh, and you know he's he's just got such he's a Rhodes scholar went to Stanford played football he's got a he's got a really just compelling story and he's also very good on the stump and i you know i think we've been saying for a while like we're just waiting for that moment you know from him because i just feel like it's gonna it it's got to happen at some point now i'm not saying he's going to win the nomination but i just feel like he's going to get his chance you know he's going to catch a, he he's going to catch a wave um at some point and hope, and maybe it happens uh, during this first debate, and, or this debate in Detroit. It could, you know, it could be tailor-made for him um, uh, to to be successful, given who's on the stage with him. And you know, does he focus on Kamala Harris? You brought up a good question. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he tries to shoot at the top and take uh, and and look and 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 score some points against Biden. Um, but I, I think he's, you know, I, I've I've said this. You've said this too. You know, I think he's just a super talented candidate and politician and you know it's it's um you know it is early on still we're still it's still only uh july but uh you know i'm i've just been waiting for his moment um for him to have a breakout moment so um Thank Rod, you. What, uh, should we go over i can do this real quick there maybe we should just tell our listeners just real quickly some of the debate rules just so they can they're like a little bit different than the the first time around um, candidates yeah, will now have it. candidates will now have 60 seconds to answer. They'll have 60 seconds to answer questions from the moderators and 30 seconds for rebuttals. Uh, but now they have an opening statement and closing remarks. So they had a closing remarks, but they didn't have an opening statement in the first debate. 
Uh, and if a candidate is attacked by name by another candidate, they will get, be given 30 seconds to respond. Uh, and I think this is something that I, I don't know what your opinion is on this or not, but uh, there will be no more show of hand questions or one word down the line questions. They're getting rid of that. We, you know, that obviously was an issue for some, for Kamala Harris and a number of other candidates in the first debate. Uh, and then a candidate who consistently interrupts will have his or her time reduced, and that happened. I know, you know, there were some there were some candidates who were kept getting some criticism of that um, uh, during the first debate. So those are the rules. Some new rules. Um, what do you think about the uh, show of hands uh, get question getting um, getting axed? I think that was smart because I think there, for whatever reason, there seemed to be some confusion around that, and then. You know, everybody, it's kind of hard to have like a yes or no answer sometimes in politics, right? Especially when you're running for the highest office in the land. I mean, it's one of the reasons why, you know, the golden rule of working on campaigns is you don't fill out those candidate questionnaires unless it's a really big endorsement um, because you don't want to box yourself in on, on a certain topic. So I think, you know, it's it's just, it, it's, it can be a little murky for some candidates to just raise their hand on a blanket statement. Um, so I actually think it's pretty smart to get rid of it. Yep. Yep. Um, well, Elrod, have a fantastic time in Detroit. You're there for both nights, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we will be back uh, this week with a post-debate wrap-up show. Um, and um, until then, uh, I'm Doug Thornell for my super talented partner in crime, Adrian Elrod. Uh, This has been The Electables, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, guys.